Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good day, good night, welcome to the Five Rings Podcast, I'm Kev Larmy, joined by Dwayne Rollins. The 2022 Beijing Olympic Games are upon us, the ceremony has started, and the flame has been lit. We'll talk about the freaking flame in a minute because I will not use the C word during these Olympics. This was not a cauldron, this was just a little flame, we'll talk about that later, Dwayne. How you doing? I'm doing well. You know, the games are upon us, as you say, because the, the opening ceremony has happened, which, is, of course, is the official opening of an Olympic Games. But I got to tell you, the, the games are not 17 days long anymore. They are 19 uh, because the two days of pre-competition were as full as ever. I had three screens going last night at one point, and this is before the opening ceremonies. That's just uh, – pre- let's stop pretending. <laughs> Olympics last two days longer than they say. Exactly. So how about you actually do the Olympic ceremony like Tuesday, last, like last Tuesday, so then you give proper importance to all days because there, there might be no medals given, but it's because they can't. Because starting tomorrow on Beijing Day, which would be February 5th, there's going to be one, two, three, four, five, six medal ceremonies in the second full day or first full day of competition. But technically, there was almost a full day of competition before the ceremonies. But, Dwayne, how did you enjoy the beginning of these 2022 games so far? In terms of the competition, I actually um, have been pleasantly surprised by how quickly I got over any reservations I had in, in terms of of these games and there were you know we'll get into them a little bit more in terms of the, the serious stuff in a minute but just on a personal level they're coming so quickly up after tokyo there still is a pandemic going on um i was distracted as you were with world cup qualifying um on the men's side which of course we've covered closely on our, on our uh, you know signature show soccer today so you know all that stuff was taken away from what normally would have been a big hype up for me for these games. I didn't have as much prep time into them and all that. So as, as soon as I started watching uh, the mixed curling event and women's hockey, which is the main two things, and then even figure skating got off the ground yesterday too, 
it felt real and it felt like an Olympics and I was enjoying it again. And it was actually kind of relaxing because as much as it was, there were a lot of stuff going on. It wasn't quite a full, full day. It's not, especially like, it's like the fire hose gets turned on with the first opening of every week, every Olympics, because it's, <laughs> it's the weekend day too. Right. So, so, so you can drink out of a hose, but have you tried drinking out of a fire hose? Like, <laughs> you yeah. can't even consume anything, which is basically, I guess what it is when the real Olympic game starts. What did you think about, we'll get to the Dwayne's medals for the pregame and the pre-ceremony, and I guess now, but let's talk about the ceremony. Let's talk about the big elephant in the room, the ceremony itself. This is the fifth Olympic ceremony we actually covered together on this show. It's not the fifth one we've seen. We've seen, I've seen every single one of them since, I guess the ones I remember is starting from 98, really, clearly in my mind. But I do remember, not specifically Atlanta, but I remember watching Atlanta, watching Lillehammer, watching Albertville and Barcelona. But when we think about what opening ceremonies have become over the last decade, this was not it. This was different. This was even subdued, don't doesn't do it justice. This was, in my opinion, a going through the motion of a bare minimum opening ceremony. Yeah, and for those that are new to us, Kevin's Olympic memories, as he sort of indicated, go back to uh, probably 92. Uh, I think that's probably fair to say. Um, whereas mine would go back a little bit earlier than that uh, because of our difference in age to um, I remember 84 is where I would first start to remember. So so that's our comparisons. And when we're talking about opening ceremonies, um, I would say that the high bar there is always going to be London. And I think that that's a very high bar to ever reach again. I, I, I would love to see them do yeah. it, but I, I don't think it's going to be the closing ceremonies of these. But uh, the low bar in that run was is to always to me is kind of Albertville. Uh, Albertville was just weird. <laughs> <laughs> Albertville was weird for a ton of reason. I so so. Can you imagine if the Beijing 2022 opening ceremonies did not have maybe the most impressive TV screen I've seen in my life, which I guess was the literal floor of the entire Bird's Nest Stadium? Outside that spectacle TV screen, I could say that that was the opening ceremonies to me. Like just the display. <laughs> the yeah. literal display the, the, and the couple fireworks displays were pretty decent too but um not as long as if you remember the closing ceremonies from oa which are definitely uh we talked off air kevin and i about that it's, it's not my taste in terms of artistic stuff is not necessarily where you typically see in this sort of stereotypical asian stuff is not typically what i personally gravitate to they teach their own on that it's art subjective of course but so I didn't enjoy Beijing as much as maybe others did, but it is certainly big and the spectacle was massive and you could appreciate it at that level. Uh, as you said, they scaled everything down in this one tonight. And and so I would put this much closer to Albertville than, than London is what I'm saying. Oh, oh yeah. It, it, has, it has to do, as Kevin said, with, with this, what we think was a conscientious decision. It's not just us that are saying this to, oh, yeah. to appear. Um, Inclusive, like without... uh, peaceful, to appear as a welcoming place if the united nations were to ever organize an opening ceremony it would look a lot like what we have seen today yeah they're inclusive i guess yeah all, all those sort of buzzwords and which is of course what china is known for right this is yeah, literally it, what china is known. <laughs> it rings very hollow because you know a big part of the, the this is ignoring the fact there's a 
a boycott, a diff- diplomatic boycott happening for most <laughs> nations competing in this game because of China's human rights record. Exactly. Yeah. You didn't see a whole lot of nations, nations, uh, head of nations, head of state in the stands. Normally you would. But of course, there's always the coronavirus right now. That well, I say coronavirus like this was 2000s. <laughs> COVID times. But of course, we're talking about Taipei, Hong Kong, which was very orchestrated, very choreographed, their entry there, how the TV producers, which is, of course, locally done, and the images are given to broadcasters here in Canada, CBC or NBC in the United States, do not have the editorial choice of how the actual ceremony from the beginning to the end of the ceremony, how that is done and cut and which shot and where to put the cameras and stuff they don't have the control so it is the local tv director producers especially and uh, the, the tv director that would be okay q taipei is coming out okay well they would say taipei chinese taipei they would not say taiwan and you say q to president of china Xi jinping okay q to hong kong q to so it it does feel kind of the message they were going for is, is so subtle, but you could still see through it, which then makes the whole thing kind of hollow, like you mentioned. But, you know, we're not going to lie to each other. The last few games outside of maybe Pyeongchang were propaganda-driven. And, you know, at this point, if we all know if it quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's a duck. Well, assume it. Just be the duck. Show me something spectacular, unfortunately. But that wasn't the case either. So it, it even rings hollow there. Yeah, look, this is a topic that is very much front of front of mind right now, the whole sport washing idea, right? We, we hear that term get used a lot. Um, if you're new to that term, it basically means exactly what it sort of sounds like, that you use sport to wash over other areas. You know, you see it in the football world and on like our other main topic. Formula One and now even golf. So there's a few different sports markets that are being used by states, nations around the world to help diffuse, or not diffuse, it doesn't mean the same, to broadcast, I guess, to, to help broadcast a message, regardless of that message. Sometimes it's on the right side, sometimes it's on the left side, sometimes it's on a dictatorship side, authoritarian side, sometimes it's the exact opposite. But sport is being used as a medium over the last few decades. Yeah, look, I, I'm glad you sort of said it can be from many sides. There's, in this country right now, there there is talk of a... Uh, an Olympic bid that would be led by the First Nations populations in British Columbia. For 2030, so, uh, yeah. uh, the Winter Games. I, I'm sorry, that's sport washing. <laughs> like that, they're trying to use that to politically align with, you know, what the, from a federal government perspective, because, you know, yes, the, the natives would be the leaders of that and they would be in the front and center leadership positions. And I think that's a wonderful initiative, actually. But it absolutely is to try and repair some relationships and some perceptions around the treatment of the Aboriginal people in, in Canada. That that's sport washing in the same way. We not we don't view it as as evil. Just as because it's maybe morally right, we don't view it as the same way. But it is. You're right. It is sport washing, even if it's done for good or for evil. You know what I mean? Yeah. And look, I'm I'm a those that listen to my soccer podcast know that I'm a Manchester City fan, and I do have ethical dilemmas at times with with the ownership there. 
But then I look at some of the work that they've done in the, you know, in poorer areas, areas of the city of Manchester to try and really open up access to sport and, and community programs and work programs and things like that. They've done legitimate good work in there. Does that change what they've done back home and the human rights abuses that have happened under the, the, the folks that, uh, that, that own that team? No, of course not. But, you know, it's a complicated, nuanced world. And I ultimately, when it comes to stuff like this and Qatar coming up at the, which we'll talk about a lot in, in the November, six months yeah. leading up, um, I think it's better to be inclusive than exclusive when it comes to these things. I don't think boycotts work, and I, I'm very opposed to boycotts. Actually, I think they're all they do is punish the athletes. They do nothing to, and they make and people you muffle from, your message. You, you literally just uh, silence yourself, basically. But yes, yeah, yeah, they well, exactly. They're they're performative. Boycotts are performative for people that want to appear that they're doing something without actually doing anything about it, right? Like this today during these opening ceremonies on the CBC, where Kevin and I watched here in Canada, they were talking about uh, Taiwan. They were talking about human rights abuses throughout this. Obviously, the the two Michaels here in Canada is a story that you can Google if you don't know that that's that we all know and understand as being something directly related to us. But it it all was being spoken about, and it doesn't necessarily if they don't go so. So I don't necessarily agree with that, but it, it is, you know, it's a bummer that we have to talk about it. And it's a bummer that the Olympics blew up to the size that only authoritative states would have bid for them. And hopefully they're learning a lesson there. And I will say this about the Beijing Games, and I didn't put them in my medals that we'll talk about in a way in a moment when we sort of explain our format to new listeners and, and give our first example of it. Um, they are reusing some venues. Uh, the curling venue is is the what's they're calling it the ice cube now. Uh, well, what was it called? It was called the the water cube. Water, water cube, yeah. Yeah. So cube. ice cube. Like I, cube. I thought it was yeah. an actor. I thought he was an actor. Or I, yeah. well, I thought it was like an ice cube. I thought it was just frozen water, but I guess I was wrong. Yeah, and uh, the where the figure skating was last night was also I think it was where like wrestling and stuff like that was. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I don't remember the names, but th those were big venues. And you're right, the the Bird's Nest, the Olympic Stadium, also is the same one as in 2008. It is a recycled games. When you think about it, there's a few aspects of Beijing because of the 2008 Olympics that facilitates these games and maybe they're the first of the new kind winter games we'll see where that's the reason why they might come back to vancouver in 2030 also is to reuse infrastructures that are already existing keep the cost low because let's face it it's not like there's been a stampede of nations and cities wanting to organize winter games over the last decade or so since we started yeah. this show we went from Teams bidding for Olympic Games to now, well, teams, when nations and countries and cities bidding for Olympic Games now to basically the IOC looking and yelling at the room, who wants the next ones? No, precisely. Th these games in particular kind of harken back to those early days. Like we started five, five rings in 2014 at Sochi, and we went weekly uh, after that for a couple of years until we moved into daily on the soccer side and had to sort of make some changes to so we had time to sleep, right? Um, we talked about the, the bidding for these games all the time during that. We called them the games no one wanted because just systematically city after city after city kept dropping off because they just are so bloated and so big. And the winter games are already at a disadvantage because, well... You, you kind of need, kick. well, I get, you used to need winter. I guess now you kind of need just direct transport to where winter is. Yeah, yeah. like I was about to say, like Toronto and Montreal, the two cities we're in, um, you know, in a country that loves the winter games, we can't bid for them. 
right? Because there's no mountains here. And that's the thing. It's the, um, literally the only thing. And uh, trust me, they've tried to do it in Quebec. They even looked in, in like, how much would it cost to, to build, just to build on top of the highest mountain we have, just to create that slope that we need, that little difference. But, you know, you can't really compete with Mother Nature there. Yeah, they need to annex Lake Placid is the only way that you can do it. And but that will never happen. Yeah, so so that that's exactly it. But yeah, that that's the disadvantage you're at, and that that's why we're in Beijing more than the recycled part. But if the recycled part of it does sort of lend, um, you know, a, a way forward, moving forward, then that's a great thing, and I and I think it will because actually, you know, when we talk about the next games that we'll cover, uh, which will be uh, when will the next games will be in uh, Paris? Twenty twenty four. That is Paris, I believe. I keep thinking it's L A. Twenty twenty eight is L A. Right? L A. Twenty eight. Yeah, um, okay, both cool. the Paris and the LA games are using exist a lot of existing facilities, particularly LA, which LA, makes sense. Know. But even Paris, yeah. like there's arenas in Paris, there's big freaking like soccer. St- like, you're gonna tell me you can't use like the Stade de France or the Parc des Princes to do like the uh, athletics? Of course you can, and that's what actually makes sense. It doesn't yeah. have to be brand new all the time, right, Qatar? Yeah, exactly. And, and what I'm particularly excited about, Kevin, is the next three Olympics will not be in the middle of the damn night for me. Oh, hey, no, but you know, not only that, and no offense to anybody. In Asia, but you know, it's been a lot of Asian games. Back nature We've been like Beijing, and since then we had Sochi, Rio, and then Pyeongchang, and of course Beijing. So, out of the last uh, seven games, there was four in Asia. So, yeah, the, the run has happened. Yeah, that, that's. <laughs> It's it, it's the yeah, it's can be a while. Like that's what one of the reasons why to go back to the twenty thirty real quickly, and maybe we'll we'll move on after that. But uh, well, you can have your thoughts. I'll be sharing. But after the twenty thirty, uh, the one of the reasons they think Canada could have it if they wanted is because the only other city that's indicated uh, a desire is, is to go back to Japan. And and you know what? I think even the IOC might at that <laughs> point go no. Like enough with the Asia. We're good until twenty forty is the next time you can, of course. Maybe apply again. All right, let's dive into it. The Five Rings podcast been going on since Sochi. And during the games, we go daily with this format. We have different medals. We have the normal, normal medal that you can find. And, of course, we can describe them as being a bronze for our third most impressive performance of the day or moment. It could be person an actual medal, a performance, or even something that is worthy of a third spot mention. Silver is the second. Gold is our favorite or greatest performance of the day. But we also have a couple of different, and not this is not copyrighted, but it's, it's our version of it. We have the wood medal, which is either a bad performance, a bad moment, a, something that we want to highlight for the wrong reasons. That's our wood medal. The best Canadian performance, our favorite Canadian performance is, of course, named after maybe Canada's greatest contribution to the world, to the gastronomy world. It's the poutine medal. And of course, that is undisputedly the best meal ever made in the entire world. And on a poutine form, it's giving to the best Canadian moment of the day. There you go. And as Kevin sort of said, well, a couple points of that before I jump into them. Um, we are in Canada. I'm in Toronto. Kevin is in Montreal, as I said earlier. 
Uh, so we always are going to have a Canadian eye on this. But like our, our soccer show, which is we jokingly call it the, the world of football from a soccer perspective, this is the world of the Olympics from a Canadian perspective. So there's always going to be a little bit of Canada that sneaks in and seeps into everything. But I do endeavor very much every day to make sure that the international story is getting told as best as we can. Yeah, We're all... and a little, a little thing too. I, I am monitoring NBC. I will keep an eye on different, I guess, point of view of the Beijing Olympic Games. Yeah, exactly. So these won't all be Canadian moments. In fact, the the pre the pregame days, some day minus two and day day, day minus one, if you prefer, uh, the medals for them do include some aren't entirely Canadian. Although there are two Canadians in the ones that I have uh, created. So so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start because I only have one for this pregame. I haven't been as involved in watching the pre OC competition should we call them then and you know if you're gonna have them before it's it's unfortunate they they go a bit unnoticed but to me it, and it's unfortunate because i kind of missed competitions that i love which is ski jumping might be my favorite thing to watch ski jumping don't ask me why is it the thought of seeing them crash is it the thought of thinking of them flying i don't know maybe somewhere in between but i i do love me some ski jumping to me, my big wood medal, and you know where I'm going with this, the entire internet is going the same way as I am. Where is my cauldron? You're giving me a little lighter when I'm expecting a bonfire. Isn't, it isn't that hard. Just create something like that looks some sort of a shape of a bowl. Listen, Vancouver. If you ever do the games again, just go with a bowl. It doesn't matter what shape or size, but make it bowl-like and just set the damn thing on fire. It ain't that hard, Dwayne. Well, no, and, and also, if you listen to us for a long time, you know that I, I believe that Canadians uh, have traditionally been the worst at lighting the cauldron. Uh, because they always try and get too cute. You know, in, in Montreal, they had it as a Francophone and an Anglophone, and they were the youthful people of the future. And then in Calgary, it was like, uh, young it was a girl like a 14 year old girl who was a figure skater locally and she was the, the future hope of canadians athletes and neither of them of course have done anything athletic no, exactly. after that alone i'm sure i wish the young lady well she'd be about 50 now so so there you go um and uh what was it uh, vancouver of course they had the six people they couldn't have one person god well, no, 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 no. vancouver had one of... get a pickup truck anyway <laughs> yeah but let's not forget that one of the damn arms didn't even work yeah i know it was a mess it was an absolute disaster <laughs> but this but... time in china it's basically they just took an they just took the flame the the, the torch that everybody ran with it don't well i don't know if it's the same one jackie chan had the day before on the Great Mural of China, the Great Wall of China, because Jackie Chan visited the Great Wall of China with the Olympic torch, of course, because the famous, famous Olympic athlete, Jackie Chan, right? right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's very, very good in uh, Wushu. Is, is Wushu in the Olympics? No, it's not. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, they. <laughs> when it was a flame inside of a snowflake, that's your cauldron. No, it's it's I, I'm still waiting for someone to be like, and we were joking. Here's the actual torch and yeah culture. look they didn't nothing you know didn't work and they didn't put anyone in a pickup truck so we'll give them that but but they didn't light anything either they actually did not light a cauldron they put the torch in a frame that looked like a snowflake and that's it it was the least like i was very i was disappointed I, it's one of my favorite things ever it's like you know, it's something that every two years will exactly. be, you know, a bit longer now because of the be pandemic. Full. But yeah. 
that, that I got to see, and it was a big moment because I'm an Olympic guy. But yeah, they took that away from. I was me. gonna Look, say that. I was literally gonna say they took it away from us, Wayne. They took that moment of seeing something lit on fire away from us, and you know, I don't think it's some by. Uh, it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's. I think it's a big f you to the rest of the world. Be like, yeah, yeah, here you go. Welcome yeah, to welcome to our, our Olympic Games. Because you know what, I I don't the Olympics don't start when the president or the prime minister or the queen or the king or the Mr. Bean, you know, whatever the supreme <laughs> being uh, says. I declare the games open. Dear leader. No, they they are they start when the flame goes up. We didn't get to see that. So no. at any rate, but I'll get over it because it's about the athletes, not about this ultimately. And the ceremony gets forgotten pretty quick unless it's London. I love the London games. I've rewatched that one twice. Yeah, I still don't know if if I like the the closing ceremonies better than the opening ceremonies. Yeah, and because I think, uh, I think, how can you beat the Spice Girls? Well, it's precisely. It's the only closing ceremonies <laughs> I've watched. It's I, the only I one that I would still watch. Like if it goes yeah. back on TV, I'd be like, eh, you know what? Uh, Dear partner, I'm going to be busy for an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, another. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah. The, it, it, look, it, it was a mess. Like I, they did what they did. It's done now. We move forward from it. You kind of get. <laughs> I get. Like I'm going to give them credit for scaling down a little bit. You have to. Oh, you have no to. Nobody, but... and, and of course, the political tensions also could use for subdue of an opening ceremony. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, but you could have had lit a cauldron. That would not have been too hard. At any rate, there we go. That's, that, <laughs> or, that's even a, or even a better thought for the music because you know what it feels like? It feels like they're like, okay, we got 25 minutes of music to fill in the stadium or an hour of music to fill in the stadium. Let's Google classical music pieces and the top six will just play them on the loop. That's what it felt like because you had the... Uh, the Nutcracker and a couple of like the most famous Western classical music pieces, and kind of like we're just gonna play those just, just over the PA system, and that's gonna be the music aspect of our opening ceremony. Yeah, there wasn't anyone singing. There was no performances at all in it. It, it was it was very very low key. Um, and it, look, and, and one of the I do typically. You know, the artsy-fartsy stuff, for lack of a better way to put it, is not really my cup of tea, but I usually get into it because it's the Olympics and I've been waiting for a while for it. Um, but what I really love and what I really enjoy about an opening ceremony is the musical performances generally because they're usually a local talent. They're, they're generally quite beautifully, uh, you know, done. Um, you know, Katie Lang singing uh, Hallelujah in, in Vancouver still gives me goosebumps when you hear that. It's one of the most beautiful versions of a very famous song. Um, that's a great thing. And Katie Lang, again, is an artist that's known, but not, I think, massively known around the world. So it was, it's kind of an example of the type of, of people that they put in there and exposed to a greater audience. And, and that was missing uh, in this particular ceremony. But let's move on from it. I'll go to my wood metal cabinet. It's going to only be peripherally uh, related to the opening ceremonies because, you know, and I'm only going to say the name once. This entire, I'm going to endeavor to only say this name once during this entire Ooh, um, okay. campaign here. All right, um, go ahead. The, the country's name, that being Russia. Oh. Russia is not there. Uh, their Olympic committee does have athletes representing their Olympic committee there. The Rock, as we're going to call them. Um, the Rock is my general wood medal because they are, how have we punished them for basically oh, making yeah. a travesty of the Sochi Games? Yeah, and then you know what they do, and of course uh, I think you're going there. So I'll let you explain their flag bearer, and I'll let you explain why it's controversial. Well, she's a drug cheat. 
<laughs> that's why. What got off on a technicality? So it's like you're literally putting someone that you know will kind of offend somebody else, but they can't really say anything because technically they haven't done anything wrong, and you're choosing them as your representative because you know it's going to irk the other people. That's what basically the message is, and we're going to get a lot more of that message because as much as you saying Russia is not there, the president of Russia, or is he the prime minister, or is he both? I don't know at this point. I think he's pretty uh, much both for life, but... He is in China, and he's going to be there for throughout the games, and he has a ton of meeting with the president of China, and he will appear somehow on the game broadcast at some point, and I thought that the country wasn't there. So the president of the country that's not there is actually there. Yeah, look, it's a joke. Uh, and the fact that they named someone who's so very controversially Oh, had had her medal stripped away and then given back through the court of arbitration sport um, through basically technicality is a slap in the face to the Olympic movement. It's a slap in the face to, to evidence. It's a slap in the face to any thinking person who says, you know, it's, it's gaslighting to use the popular word of the, of the times is what Russia does when it comes to this. No, you can, it doesn't matter what you see, what we say is right. And this is an example of it. And, and look, I, I love the Olympics. I defend the Olympics to people all the time. I was defending the Olympics to people this morning on doing text messages with friends from high school that I still take part in. They're telling me how much they hate them and how they don't watch them anymore. And, and I have to be the one that comes in all the time and defend it. But then stuff like this happens. And how do you defend it? No, like well, do you, you don't. And you don't have, we don't yeah. have to. That's the thing. We, we don't yeah. have to defend it. Something's happened. And I'm like, you know what? You're on your own for that one. You defend yeah. your own yourself. And I'll be like, you know what? I, I'm not, I'm not involved here. Please. If I was American, I would say I'm pleading the fifth on this one. Yeah, look. Well, no, I'm against it, basically. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Yeah, I was just going to say, just to summarize my thing, like the, the fact that there's – look, I, I'm not opposed to athletes that can prove that they're clean that are from Russia being at the Olympics, but I, I what they've done with this, with this ROC, it's just a joke now. Like even on the commentaries, like – you know, the hockey ones are the worst. They always say Russia. They never say ROC. They sometimes remember in the individual sports, but it's like hit and miss because everyone knows where they're from. I know. And they still, they're not supposed to wear the colors in the way that the flag is. Sure. Yeah. Like that's, like that's respected. Yeah. No, they, I was watching, <laughs> I watched their hockey team, the women's hockey team play a little bit last, and you know, it's clearly a Russian uniform. It's just got the Olympics, the Olympic committee symbol on it, not even. Like, exactly. I don't know. They should have been under the Olympic uh, flag. They should wear, like, than... just pure yellow. It's like something totally foreign to what their country's colors are. Just like, you know, okay, so your band and here's your uniform. It's all yellow and it has a big black square. So yeah. that's your – look like a – no, make it orange. Make it look like a prison – like a prison inmate kind of uh, attire. A kuchama. And then you would maybe – even then, it's high, you know, there's there's no answers here. It's just there's there, there's no positives in this thing. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's I don't know when it ends. Like at some point, the absurdity just you might as well just let them be Russia at that point, right? Like well, exactly. Point where, like, what's the point? And but you know, in the history books, let's just make sure that it's actually documented though what happened. That that's yeah. really what we want to know is that over the years we don't be like, oh yeah, Sochi, we're great, nothing really happened. No, there was a the biggest cover-up in a doping 
exercise it's not even exercise state sponsored doping mechanism i guess no. ever so that has been documented so we just want to make sure that it keeps being documented all right positive time let's move to the bronze medal yeah exactly good just quickly as this final final thought on that i want to point out if you go back and listen to our archives of the Sochi, one of our wood medals during that time was us saying there hasn't been any positive drug tests that's weird so yeah it was pretty obvious even when it was happening uh <laughs> and then you watch icarus and you're like holy crap there's actually was trap doors and stuff yeah uh, the poutine we're doing poutine now i guess oh uh, well I, I queued up for the bronze but if you want to do poutine go ahead poutine yeah yeah we sort of we did Sure, let's do poutine. <laughs> My poutine medal is going to be um, a person Kevin and I were talking about off air and who's a very famous person here in Canada, maybe not so much in the rest of the world, and, you know, had a very poor game in Pyeongchang. Uh, that's Rachel Holman, who is part of the Canada doubles uh, curling team right now, which is 3-1. and one. Uh, After they started, they, they lost to the world champions from Great Britain in the first game and won three games straight and are looking very, very good uh, to defend the gold medal right now if they can keep rolling as they were. And Rachel Holman in particular, I wanted to put out uh, John Morris as her partner, who's a two-time gold medalist. Um, but she really, really has a reputation. She has a lot of reputations, first off. Um, she's not necessarily viewed as positively as maybe is fair. Um, but nonetheless, that's out there. But the other reputation, more to the point to this, is that she's a bit of a choker, a bit of an overtrier. If, you, if you're familiar with the um, sports psychology term, the inverted U, where if you, you try, your effort is so, so high and goes so, so much that it starts to drop performance. It's the inverted U theory. She's been a poster child for that for a long time. And she was at Pyeongchang, where she completely, for Canada, uh, they didn't medal. And that's not expected for Canadian and curling. Like, they're, they medal. <laughs> like, gold medal, gold medal or bust is where they at. If they don't even hit the podium, like, something went wrong. And something went wrong for Rachel Holman and, and her team in Pyeongchang. But she's playing very, very well. And, in fact, arguably is carrying John Morris a little bit in terms of the shot making in the first couple of games at least. So I wanted to highlight her. I'm sure in the next few days I may have an opportunity to talk about that team again because it is a big part of my focal part of the part point of the Olympics is watching the curling competition. It is daily and it is, you know, something I enjoy anyway. I watch outside of Olympics. So yeah, so yeah I, I will highlight her as my uh, poutine medal of the day, Kevin. All right, Rachel Holman with the first poutine medal of the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games for the Five Rings Podcast. Which brings us to a bronze medal for, I guess, the pre-Olympic ceremony. Yeah, the bronze medal uh, I'm going to give to a hockey game that I watched last night. And look, I'm critical of the uh, WIHF, the International Ice Hockey Federation, a lot. Uh, because I don't think they do a lot to grow the game outside of their little fiefdoms in Saskatchewan and so forth, which you know, is Switzerland and Saskatchewan are basically where the uh, where they're they're kings, right? And and they kind of are comfortable in their scenarios, and they don't really try and expand their wings too much. And that that frustrates me as a lifelong hockey player, referee, and fan. Um, but I think that the women's game on the women's side the countries that have decided to start women's programs are not really expanding at the speed that I'd like them to, but the athletes that have taken to the game have sh- are truly showing a passion for it. That that is allowing the games between the non big three and the women's side to start to look better and to start to, s- to have a passion to them, have a, have a joy to them. That's kind of really nice to watch. They're not going to meddle these countries. They're not close to the top three teams. In fact, the gap might be getting bigger if that's possible because there's so much money going into the game in Canada and the United States that, that they're just getting better and better and better to the point that there's never 
not a realistic pathway to, for the rest of the world to ever catch up. But nonetheless, what I wanted to point out was a game between Denmark and China, two first-time appearance in the uh, first-time um, uh, teams in the Olympics. They played one hell of a game last night that was that had me glued to it. There was Canadian athletes on my other two screens, and I couldn't take my eyes away from Denmark-China hockey. And that tells you something about how fun that game was, how passionate that game was. And, and China ended up getting its first win in Olympic history, and Denmark scored its first goal in Olympic history. And all that was just good. And, and that's what you want to see from an Olympic Games. You, you weren't thinking about politics. You weren't thinking about the rock. You weren't thinking about, and not the one that you can smell what's cooking. Uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about here. It's too you, bad I don't have my board queued up because I would have dropped some. If you smell, pretty impressive. I pulled that. I'm not the wrestling guy here, anyway. But nonetheless, <laughs> it, it was it was a great game. And and look, I would actually recommend that if you're a hockey fan to not watch Canada and the United States until they play each other. Watch the other teams play each other because they're they're more competitive. They're better games. There's a lot of passionate. <laughs> Canada-US would be a great game when they play, but you know, watching Canada beat Switzerland 12-1 on game for opening night was not that compelling at all. Yeah, that's kind of understandable. Like, okay, it's not like, are they going to win? It's by how much are they going to win? It's not even that. It's are they going to cover the spread at this point? <laughs> it's more like, by how much? Absolutely. Well, yeah, the, the spread was five and a half if you're into that. But anyway, and they spread, they covered it. And they'll, they'll probably cover it tonight against Finland, who uh, was okay. Finland's the clear third in this, although there have been a couple other bronze medalists. There's been a couple of uh, yes. Sweden won the silver medal once. If you don't know, it was a complete fluke that they beat the um, the Americans in the semifinal. And uh, at a world championship level, Finland won a silver medal once by upsetting Canada. But in the entire history, at even the world level or Olympic level, there's only ever been uh, Canada versus U.S. other than two times has happened. So that tells you all you really need to know about this competition. Um, you can't even get odds on the Canada, the United States meddling. Like it's, it's, you can't bet on it, right? That they're not going to take your money because it'd be <laughs> impossible for them to get any value from it. Exactly. Like, okay, you're going to have to lay, uh, lay $2,000 to win a buck. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's, that's where we're at with that. So, so uh, look, and, and they, when they play, it is a great game. There is no doubt it is. It, and it will be, uh, I think it's in a couple days from now. It might even, be, I think Saturday actually, when they play for the first time in the group stage, when they've set up the tournament. On the women's side, quickly, if you don't know this, and this might confuse a lot of people, it's the only Olympic event that does this. There's Pool A is the top seeds. Pool B is the lower seeds. Everyone from Pool A plays each other in kind of friendlies, exhibitions, until, to use the talky term, exhibition games, until they, then the other group pool plays each other and the top two advance to join them in the, in the, um, the knockout round and then the real game start from there. So that's just reflects how one sided the competition is in terms of the top places. But as I say, you can get value, you can get enjoyment out of watching the rest of the games. And, and I actually recommend that you do that. They're far more compelling than watching the top teams until the top teams play. But when the top teams play, yeah. it will be fun. Oh yeah, definitely watch that. Except, Except maybe the U S best player is injured for the entire tournament. So that's, that's kind of a, a bummer for the U S women's hockey team and let's go with the silver medal for our first show of beijing 2022 um i mentioned it already but i'll repeat it now and it's just the simple fact that they're reusing venues um the olympics are too bloated and in the past the way that they've dealt with that is by cutting sports out 
And I don't necessarily like that. I'd rather them find ways to save money and, and to save or make it more accessible and easier to host than eliminating Olympic dreams for people. That That's not the approach. Like, don't take softball out of the games. Make it so that you can afford softball in the games. And the winter side, is, you know, I don't know why you said well, summer sport there, but but nonetheless, you know, the, the point remains. So the fact that they are using these venues again that used in 08, to me, is a great sign that the Olympic movement's finally trying to learn this and might not all need the bells and whistles anymore, although I'm sure that no, you know, but, if you go to the hotel rooms, they're still getting bells and whistles. <laughs> well, yeah, but a coat of paint goes a long way. Like, uh, you don't need to build a new stadium or build a new ramp or to build a new ski venue or to build whatever new. You just need to maybe update what you have just so that it has the technology needed for broadcast. You make sure that it's safe. And, you know... I'm okay living with something that it's not perfect. Something has its quirk. And you know what we love about different venues and different sports in like baseball or other places that everyone is kind of unique and that is kind of fun. And that was something that I used to love about Olympic is it used to look very different. Now it all looks like it's so big, so thing. But I kind of like the shots that we saw of you see the ice cube i guess now and then you see the bird's nest and you see the other venue that's used that was transformed and it's the oval uh, ice rink i believe so you see a few different things that are still used now that were used in 2008 and that are updated with the new lighting because they were lit in 2008 but it was very different than lighting today and that is kind of interesting and you saw the curling venue uh, which is the ice cube right and you saw them lit up with all the names but also they made a curling top and you saw like animations on top so that's kind of what they need to do you update it to today's standards but doesn't have to be above and beyond everything else and doesn't have to be bankrupting the ioc your city and your your people for the next decade that's we're past that yeah no it should be your city should aspire to host these things like the city i'm in has been for the summer games twice and has not been successful in either attempt, but did have the opportunity to host the Pan Am games in 2015 during the run of this show, actually. And and I, that the value of that game, so much as the locals complained about it, because locals complain about everything in this city, but nonetheless, and I don't think that's unique to this city either. People are NIMBYs all over the world. However, the value it brought was undeniable in terms of transit infrastructure improvements, in terms of uh, sport infrastructure improvements. There's a Olympic swimming pool here, which is literally bearing Olympic medals by now. Um, and, you know, we saw it in velodrome, the velodrome as well. Exactly. The Milton Velodrome may be the biggest contributor from 2015 to medals from Canada from the last Olympic we covered last year. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that and the, the, pool which there wasn't an olympic size pool in toronto before that so now there was so there was sorry there was one at ut but it was only used with the ut students so this is the you know, first public olympic size pool in the city of six million so that tells you what we needed anyway to not get into that topic which if you want to listen to a lot of us talk about it you can go back to our archives and hear tons of conversations about that um soft benefits and hard benefits and all that sort of good stuff but uh yeah i, I think that it's a good sign to the olympic movement that they've gone back to a city again i i think that maybe you know i'm always open to new cities coming into the olympic family but realistically it's probably time that we start to heavily recycle some teams and, and quicker and that's the other part of it too like we were in beijing within memory you know the athletes that competed in beijing are on tv now and still look like they can compete like they don't have gray hair so it's it's something that i uh 
that I think is is needs to happen moving forward again and um and hopefully we see it happen that way. So that's my silver medal for my pre-Olympic competitions. And that's the other thing quickly about as just a general thought. That's not an athlete. And you'll hear that occasionally. Our medals don't necessarily aren't necessarily athletes or performances. They can be ideas too. And this is a first example of that. It could basically be whatever we want. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's our show. <laughs> we we don't have to label it. The label is the name itself, which means it's time for the pinnacle of the show, it is time to talk about the gold medal of, I guess, day one of the Fire Mix podcast. Yeah, he might get another repeat on the on the charts tomorrow. Uh, you know, as much as I say that the, the medals don't have to be people or, or performances, they're usually, they can be ideas. The gold medal usually is a performance because, you know, higher, faster, stronger, right? That's what it's about. And uh, I'm going to give the best performance I saw pre-Olympics was a Canadian by, by chance. It would have been another. If it wasn't a Canadian, it would have been someone else, but it was. And that's uh, uh, Mr. Kingsbury, the uh, world champion in the moguls, defending gold medalist, uh, defending twice in a row. This would be his third straight Olympics with a medal. He was completely dominant, five points ahead of the rest of the field. The only uh, computer, competitor in the, in the qualifying to, to go over 80 points. Looks like, I don't know, lock in any skiing event. You never want to say a lock because you can blow a ski out and be gone done. But <laughs> blow he's a ski, as yeah, close you can to also a lock blow, as you can get. You can also blow a knee. And uh, we can ask Philip Marquis how that feels. Go yeah, back to Pyeongchang. Mikhail Kinsbury is, is uh, he's a brilliant athlete. He, he's the he, best he, ever. He's the best ever to do that sport. So it's hands, hands down. And we're talking about moguls here. Talking about uh, freestyle skiing yeah. moguls for Michael Kingsbury. And in... His life, he has gone down hills that are literally the same as that one. The type of moguls that are built for the Winter Games are basically based and conceptualized off of moguls in Mont Saint-Sauveur in the Laurentians where he trained his entire life. He basically went down that hill millions of times. He's closing his eyes and does his training run and it's literally the same track, the same type of snow, the same weather, the same condition that he's used to. Yeah, well, yeah, precisely. And look, for a lot of, most Canadians will be used to the conditions that he's skiing in because the majority of Canadians live closer to mountains, mountains, hills, in some cases that, that have those conditions. And that's one of the great things about the freestyle disciplines is you don't necessarily have to live within a drive of a mountain to be able to it. You can have a great Mogul's Hill in Collinswood or here in Ontario, Blue Mountain, which is it's an escarpment, not a mountain, right? Like it's yeah, yeah. It one. takes you it takes you thirty five seconds to go down when you just go downhill to go the entire thing. But that's enough for aerial moguls freestyles, of course. Yeah, and, and it's it's a very technical sport. And what what makes Kings, Kingsbury so good is that technical side. It's a spectacular sport to watch. It's one of my favorite sports to watch ever, and that's partly because of the success Canada's had in it. It's probably our most successful individuals. It might be our most successful individual event in all of the Olympics, not just the, the Winter Games. I'd have to think about that a bit more, but I can't think of another one off the no, top of my head right. who had so much consistent success in. Especially women's, too, because you can go from Jean-Luc Brassard, who was maybe... Even then, there was some before him, but Johnny Brassard was maybe the best one in the early 90s, all the way to Jennifer Howe and the women. And then we go back to Alexandre Bilodeau to Michael Kingsbury. So we're talking about a domination that is uh, three decades in the making now. Yeah, yeah. Even into the 80s, they were competitive in it. They didn't necessarily have gold medals in the 80s, but they 
they were competing in it. And then into the nineties, then they started to win this discipline. So the moguls are absolutely, you know, and they start the every games too. They, they are the first one out off the down the hill and it kind of, there's something about the first events and the Olympic program is generally the same Olympics to Olympics. And there's just something nice about it, but it, it's a fun competition to watch. But, uh, Sorry, where I was going, I was trying to get my thought process back in line here, Kevin. Yes, what the point I wanted to make with it is, is it can be spectacular to watch, and he is spectacular with the jumps, but where he really sets himself apart is his turns, and that is 60% of the scoring within the moguls. You don't have to be an expert to see the difference. When he goes down the hill, it is night and day better than the rest. He is like a robot cutting through that, that mountain, and if you've ever been on a, a ski hill on a moguls run, they're terrifying. Like, they're terrifying. It's way Moguls. more steep. The camera does not do it justice, and the hills are way bigger than you think. And you're wondering, how am I not going to break my rotula when I go down that hill? Yeah, what they do is not. Well, any Olympic Olympian, what they do is not. But, but in you're particular, right. yeah, in this particular case, like, you, you, I have, when I went down a Mogul's Hill, I've gone down, gone down a few times. I'm not a bad skier. I call myself like a high, mid to high intermediate level skier. But I have to go down the hill, like left to right to left to right, not straight down the damn hill. Like they Never do. mind jumping, eh? Never yeah. mind taking the actual jumps, because <laughs> those are not for normal people. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 he's and just very good, and and that's why he's a gold medal for the pre-Olympic. And you can yeah. um, watch him compete for gold, uh, probably about twelve hours from now. So we yeah. might be talking about him again tomorrow. <laughs> Exactly. Let's set the table for tomorrow, which will be February 5th, 2022. Tomorrow's show, we'll be talking about alpine skiing already, biathlon competition, and medals will be given out in biathlon. We'll have many medals in cross-country skiing. Curling will continue. There's going to be curling every single day for the next two weeks. Dwayne is very happy about that. Freestyle skiing, ice hockey on the women's side, luge. Luge will start also while we'll continue on February 5th, short track speed skating with some medals given out there too. Medals in ski jumping. So don't look for me. I'll be watching ski jumping. A good movie I actually love. And that's my movie, my movie recommendation for today. It's not the way it happened in real life. And the Eddie the Eagle story is a great story. But the movie is also pretty good with you, Jackman. So you know what? You can watch that movie if you're bored until the competition starts tonight snowboard and also some medals in the long track or the actual regular track speed skating yeah i'm look yeah speed skating is another one of the sports that i always associate with watching a winter game so once i see someone go down a mogul's hill and once i see a dutch person in that orange suit skating really fast in a circle <laughs> i know it's a winter game <laughs> exactly started, so yeah. like is it the is it the winter games yet i don't know did the the netherlands win a medal Everything. in <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, I guess the Olympics have started, which will be back tomorrow with a brand new show. Thank you for subscribing to this Olympic podcast. We've been going strong since 2014, and we are the longest-running Olympic podcast on the planet. Thanks for subscribing to this podcast feed. You can follow Dwayne on Twitter at 24th Minute. Our account, this Firing Podcast, is Available at Five Rings Podcast and myself at Kev Laramie. We'll be back with a brand new show tomorrow. And as always, until then, have a great Olympics. <laughs>